Welcome to the Disambiguation Podcast, where each week we try to remove some of the confusion around AI and business automation by talking to experts across a broad spectrum of business use cases and the supporting technology. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. And if you're new to the show, we release a new episode every Friday. It's uh, released as a podcast on all the major podcast platforms, uh, as a video on YouTube, and we also post the transcript on the Arian Research blog if you want to drop by there and read it. I'm not 100% sure why you would, but it's available if you do. Uh, so in, in the show today, I'm excited to, uh, to talk a lot about chatbots and intelligent chatbots. And, and of course, that means we're talking about uh, large language models and generative AI. And I'm joined today, uh, I'm going to bring him in, I'm joined today by Tim Handorf. Uh, Tim, welcome. Tim is uh, is currently um, the co-founder of G2. Uh, it's the software marketplace, uh, head of G2 Labs, and the executive chairman of Carrier Source, which is a, a startup that was started by one of uh, one of the uh, ex employees of G2, and it's a it's a really interesting marketplace around shipping. Um, he served in several roles at G2, and I should say I uh, I worked for G for Tim for uh, several years at G2. Um, he was the CEO when I first joined, and then he went to uh, run a, a, a acquisition that we'd made around G2 Track. And then, um, you know, prior to uh, to um, to that, he was the VP of Product Management at Big Machines, a CPQ startup that was acquired uh, by Oracle in 2012. So, welcome, Tim. Thanks, Michael. Pleasure to be here, and excited to to chat a little bit about chatbots. Yeah, maybe we could have just had my bat my bot call your bot, right? Um, so tell a little bit about your role, uh, currently at G2, and then I'm really interested in the innovations that you've added to the site, uh, this year using generative AI. Yeah. And so, uh, my co-founder, Mike Wheeler and I run a group called G2 labs, and we get the privilege of experimenting with all the new technologies that come up and ultimately trying to design and bring new products to market that will help buyers and sellers of software. Um, and, you know, back in November, as many people kind of did, um, we had actually, prior to November, we had tried all kinds of interesting things with AI. AI is not new. We had tested uh, machine learning, some natural language processing, mainly around trying to summarize the reviews on our marketplace. Mm. And frankly, the results were lackluster. And... Um, and so, like, I wasn't that excited about it. I was like, I kind of get it. I get where it's going. I get the potential, but I just didn't see it was ready yet for a prime time until November of last year when ChatGPT came out. Mm. And my co-founder said, hey, we should try this. And initially, I was like, mm, another large <laughs> language model test. Okay, let's, let's go for it. But then I actually tried ChatGPT myself. And like many people, my eyes were open to the possibility. It was the first time that I had tried something and it just, it really worked and really worked really well. And so we agreed we were gonna test it. Unfortunately, my uh, co-founder decided he was going to go on sabbatical uh, during the holidays. And so we couldn't get right at it. But in February, uh, we decided to build, build our first bot, which was designed to help connect buyers and sellers and really helping buyers find the right short list of products that would meet their requirements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've uh, I played around with it a little bit when when you guys first brought it out because I, I you you'll remember I I when I first joined I tried the uh, existing uh, 
helper, uh, and it didn't help much. Uh, it was uh, it was actually pretty pretty bad. But but I, the good news is nobody used it, so I guess we didn't have to to worry about that from a customer satisfaction perspective. Anyway, but well, but I'm amazed at how much. Remember, Michael, when we actually had live people behind the chat. I, well. I do actually, uh, yeah. and uh, so some of our initial testers of this were those <laughs> the live people that were getting those questions, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yep, you know, they were equally impressed as we were. Yeah, that's good because I, I mean, and yeah, those, in fact, some of those folks worked for me for a little while when I was there. That was, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting to see, um, as chatbots have evolved, you know, and you mentioned the, the, you know, the, the people behind it. I, I know, um, one of the things that I did a survey, uh, in a project for a client a few months ago asking about chatbots, it was about communications in general, but chatbots particularly and around support. And, you know, when I asked people, specifically about their talking to a chatbot, they didn't really want to. That if you say, would you rather talk to a human than a chatbot? They're always gonna say, I'd rather talk to a human, right? And that was, I mean, that was a big percentage of them, like 80%. Um, but what what you see if you ask the questions a little differently was that if they're talking to an, more of an interactive chatbot or if, they're, if they've had good results, that you know, nearly fifty percent of them said, "Oh, I, I got, had good results, you know, interacting with the chatbot recently," and I, I think that's a big shift in the way those things function. So I'm curious how, you know, how you've implemented that and how you managed to make it, um, you know, interactive so that it does provide a, a a good customer experience. So what are the advantages of having generative AI in the chatbot? Well, I, I think uh, you were kind of alluding to, you know, our experiences, like, and everybody's probably had this experience where you've called up your bank or, or whatever, and you have three options for a prompt and none of them meet your, your need. And it's just frustrating because you want to hit zero or whatever. You want to go talk to a person. And so I'm not surprised based on your research that people yeah. don't want to use a chatbot if that's what they perceive a chatbot to be, because um, usually the old website you know based chat box were very similar to those uh, voice systems yeah um but the difference between you know an ai enabled chatbot is i think it really puts the user in control versus mm -hmm. the, the chatbot in control and so you can ask the question it will automatically answer your question from the beginning as opposed to having to wait for a, a prompt or figure out if it will ever get to you and ultimately at the end of the whole thing you end up having to just you know, enter a case or something like that and wait yes. for somebody to respond to you where you can get the answer you know, when you need it. And that is the big difference. And the amazing thing about these AI enabled chatbots is that if you feed it the right data, um, it has perfect recall um, or near perfect recall. And it just gives you better information than a human can because a human would probably have to do a search or find it. Uh, the answer they don't always know, and so they're they've got a database on the other side that they're they're looking up, and the the chatbot is basically doing all that usually faster than what a human can do. Yeah, you know it's interesting, and I, I I know you'll be at Dreamforce next week, and I will too. I know one of the things that Salesforce has done, and and you see this in other customer service systems too, is that not only you can use the chatbot up front, but when you get to the human, what you probably don't realize is that the chatbot now sits by the human too because they're also using it to answer your questions uh, because it's much faster at finding the answers than they were ever were with, you know, with the old systems. Right. So it's, it's kind of funny to think, I don't want to talk to a chatbot, but you know, that human is probably having a, an assisted uh, conversation with you anyway. Uh, but it is different than the logic tree ones. I tell you, I, 
I was uh, trying to return something to, to uh, a large uh, online retailer recently and, uh, and, and had a lot of frustration and you would have laughed at me as I was yelling at my computer because it wouldn't let me return the item. And, uh, I finally got to somebody, but that was not a good experience. So, so what are, you know, using gen, gen AI in the chatbot, what are, what are challenges? What are limitations? I mean, what, what is, what was hard and what worked really well? Yeah. You know, I think, you do have to be cautious and right. And I don't think every application, this is just my opinion, right, is ready for a chatbot. And, you know, I think ones that are more sensitive, right, where you need the answer, let's say medical situations, um, you want to be overly, a little more cautious around those. But that's a little different than, uh, you know, trying to select the right software, for example. Right. And so, you know, chatbots will you know, they will say hallucinate, right? And they, you'll get an answer that uh, seems perfectly, you know, perfectly legitimate and the chatbot gives you it with great confidence. Um, But it is only as good as the data that it's provided. If it doesn't have the data sometimes, right? It might make some assumptions that are incorrect in the same way that a human might. Uh, It doesn't do it intentionally. It doesn't lie intentionally, but Mm. sometimes it's wrong. And so right now, um, you know, I think there's good implementations or good use cases. And then there's others that probably aren't quite there yet. Yeah. I was, uh, I was playing around with them when I first started to, to use them back in December or so. And I had chat GPT write a biography for me and it did a really, you know, I'm a fairly online person. It did a pretty good job. And in fact, even, uh, gave me two advanced degrees from UC Davis, which was really exciting. Of course, I never went to UC Davis, but that's okay. I mean, it was a very good biography. I was impressed with myself. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, you know, obviously the, one of the biggest issues with chatbots I know is, uh, is data, right? So how. I mean, you're using ChatGPT in the back end of uh, of of your chatbots, Monty. I should call it Monty. That's that's its name, right? I have one on my website. It's called Ario. So that's you know we can have them talk at some point. Uh, but how do you how did you train? Like, obviously the ChatGPT large language model is one piece of it, but then you've got all the site data and and data in general. How how do you guys think about that? And how did you train it so that it can actually respond off of the G two site data? Sure. Sure. And so the way that I like to think about this, is I, I like to think about it just in in human form. And so if we were to train a chatbot whose purpose is to provide information um, in the same way that a sales representative might provide information about a product. Um, and so but you have to train that sales rep. And the first thing that you do when you're training that sales rep is you want to gather all the product information. You want to gather its advantages, its disadvantages, its use cases potentially um, some customer testimonials. um, Mm. And you also want to talk about, you know, the sales methodology would train them in a sales methodology that uh, Mm. that you want that you subscribe to. And if you can provide all of this information uh, in text form and have the human read it, they will consume it. And then in theory, right, they would be able to do the job. Um, you basically do the exact same thing with the chatbot. You provided all of this text data that, that goes into a, a vector database that then you kind of then tell the chatbot how to use and recall that data. And that is exactly the same way that you might train a, a salesperson. So it, it sounds, interesting. It, you know, it's, it's actually much simpler than what you might think. 
Yeah. I, I was on my show last week, we were, I was talking to a couple folks from, uh, from pickaxe, which is a AI platform. And we were talking about prompts, but, and they used an analogy that I really like. They, they said that you have to think about the language model as a smart intern and, you know, as a reasonably smart intern. And so when you're, you know, when you're training them, they, they come to you, they, they have general intelligence, but they don't have specific intelligence, right? They don't know about your stuff. And so you have to train them in that, and that makes them then competent. And, and they sort of think of the large language model sort of the same way, which makes sense to me anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I know, you know, I know you're using, um, using the chat bot on both ends of the marketplace, right? So one end of it is for buyers as they come in. Uh, but I'm curious about the other side of it, the, the, the seller side of it, what are you doing with that side? What, what kinds of things? Cause this, I mean, both of them are customer experience issues because obviously your customers are on both ends of that marketplace, but the monetization part of it is in the, is in the seller part. So how has that helped the experience, um, by having that available? Well, the way that we think about this is if we can provide a great experience for the buyers, ultimately that's going to help the sellers. Yeah. Um, and so the first bot that we built was really designed to narrow the list of softwares that would meet your requirements. But then at some point, the buyer has questions that are very detailed. Um, they have very detailed requirements, whether it, you know, does it integrate to XYZ software yeah. uh, as, an, as a classic example? And maybe that's buried somewhere in a review that you might be able to find whether it does it or not, but you have to really search for this. Yeah. And so if you can then enable the seller to provide more of this information to the chatbot. Ultimately, right, the the buyer is going to get the answers that they need faster. Mm. Um, and if you can, as a seller, speed up the sales cycle and do that without having to interact with the buyer, mm. um, so there's no labor on your end, right? You're saving money and ultimately getting much stronger leads. Um, through the process and they'll contact you, right? If it's a good fit and you provided a great service and a, and a great early sales experience through the bot, they they want to contact you mm. because it's going to solve the problems that they're trying to solve. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, it sounds almost like the, the, the sellers are tra helping train the bot and giving them more specifics around the products that they have listed. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of information on G2, that uh, the bot can be trained on, but not everything's there. Uh, and so enabling the sellers to provide more of that information and with a bot, especially an, an AI based bot, right? You can provide it a lot more information. The problem with probably providing a ton of information on a website or, you know, on a marketplace is the buyer has to find it. Yeah. And that's, that's hard uh, in many cases. And so you have to have a really good search, uh, you know, elastic search engine to be able to do that. And then it's even, you have to sift through the text with a bot. It kind of does all that for you. Mm. Well, and a lot of that data is not very well structured. Obviously it's uh, people writing reviews. So it, it's, uh, it has to be able to interpret some of that stuff too, I would imagine. It does. And that's, that's, what's amazing about, you know, it's not just, I think the technology, of the large language models, but it's the, the concept of, you know, these vector databases that are enabling it as well, which I, I don't claim to be an expert in vector databases. So please don't ask me. Any detailed <laughs> I'm just going to jump in on that. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, one little I do know about it, right? It's it's really a big enabler uh, for uh, customizing these the bot experience. Well, so I know one of the biggest issues with um, with training the the bots, training the the, the large language model is um, data quality. So, you know, how, how are you, how have you approached this? How do you ensure that you have good quality data for the, for the bot to use and, and that it continues to consume good quality data as it learns more? Yeah. And I, I think there's a couple of points there. One is, you know, the seller, right? We enable the seller to continue to upload the most recent data. Um, but also that you mentioned the prompt strategy mm -hmm. before. So um, being able to take let's say a recorded gong call hmm. uh, or a Zoom call and being able to summarize that hmm. call into the advantages and the disadvantages or pulling some of that data out, right, is very, very important. So often, right, you're using a large language model um, to actually summarize the data before you put it into the vector database. Hmm. Um, so you're getting the right things into it versus the, the wrong things. Mm. Yeah, I, I just added a, a, an extension to my Chrome browser the other day that um, that that's a little AI chatbot that summarizes things that you're reading. So you go in and you look at a, a long McKinsey blog article or something, and you're like, I don't really want to read this whole thing. Here, can you summarize this in a paragraph for me? And it and it does. I'm like, wow, that saved me a lot of time. I hope it gave me everything I could have gotten out of it. But you know, time's important too, right? Yeah, that's good. So. And, and then from a quality perspective, have you had any issues with data quality? I mean, is there anything that you had to do extra that uh, to make sure that the, the training data is, is accurate? You know, um, there's several techniques that we use, and this is really post-implementation. Mm. Um, one is, you know, ChatGPT uses this as well, which is basically user feedback that you can use for machine mm. learning, thumbs up, thumbs down, did it answer the question? But we've also then been able to implement um, a prompt on top of all of the data. So every chat we analyze via this prompt that determines whether or not it, the user succeeded in answering the questions or not. Mm. And so it's kind of a really fancy sentiment analysis. I wouldn't call it sentiment analysis, mm -hmm. but we can actually determine whether or not it was, you know, we provided the right data mm. uh, from the conversation. And then we can dig into the ones that maybe didn't succeed and, uh, you know, change their prompt strategy so that the next time mm. um, it gets the answer correct or, yeah, so, or add data, as you mentioned. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it, it learns not only from the training data you've already put in there then, but it's also learning from the conversations as it has them. That's right. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so you get that iterative uh, approach and it just gets better the more people use it. That's correct. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Like the more conversations it has, the be the better it gets. So, I, I mean, it's exciting. And you know, I'm I'm excited about uh, AI and all the things that I'm um, investigating and researching about it. But there's also this sort of other side of it, right? And there's a lot of of talk around um, ethics, uh, a lot of talk around security, a lot of talk around privacy. So I, I'm curious, what have you guys? thought about there? What are you doing from a, you know, from those con to deal with those concerns, ethical privacy, whatever those are, how have you approached that? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of our G2's mantras from the beginning has been all about transparency. Like I, we created G2 to bring more transparency to, to B2B buying. Right. And so everything we're doing with chatbots, we want to be as transparent as possible. Um, we believe transparency builds trust. And over time, if you can gain that trust, people will ultimately have more trust in, in using the bots. And so um, when we think about transparency, it can be, you know, there's issues of the company being transparent that you're using a bot. Mm. Um, and so you want to make sure that they know. Um, in some cases, people are actually trying to, because as you mentioned earlier, often people don't want to chat to a, uh, talk to a bot. And so if they, they're so good now, people may not even realize that they're, they're talking to a bot. And that, yep. Some people perceive that as an, an advantage. Like we at G2 would stray away from that and say, we want to be transparent that they're using the, uh, the bot. Um, but then uh, on the, the other side, you know, you know, you want to be transparent about how the data is being used, too. And that kind of gets into the, the privacy side of, of what we're of what you're doing. And so we, we will be transparent about how the data is viewing, who has access to it, um, et cetera. At the same time, we don't want to put a bunch of like, you know, contracts in front of somebody that really like uh, scares people away from using the bot and or um and and or like you know makes them go through a really bad user experience um so those are a couple of things. and then of course there's the ip protection yeah. um, that, that you want to get into and so that's usually the first thing that comes up when you're using a pre-trained model is okay um what's the ip about and you do have to read the terms uh, but at the same time, right, I think these companies, ChatGPT, Google, they realize that their business uh, is highly dependent on, on the, the privacy of this yeah. and the IP protection. And so you do have to somewhat trust that they're, they're going to be a good actor um, in this situation and not a bad actor. Hmm. And I mean, you're, you're not really, for the most part, you're not collecting a lot of, of uh, privacy-focused data uh, in those interactions anyway, but there is some data, I suppose, being shared there if they go all the way through to connecting to a buyer, that sort of thing. So, I mean, have you had any, um, any concerns around privacy or have you done anything there special? You know, with, uh, PII in particular, right, we would never, we do not encourage nor ask for any PII in a conversation. Um, now, could a user put in PII without being prompted? Mm. Uh, yes, um, we we would do our best to try to scrub that, um, but it's not something that we would we would ask. And if we if a user wanted to be contacted, we would probably do that in a way that is very similar to all the privacy laws that are out there today, uh, where we we make sure they are very aware that they are opting in to be contacted. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, I know when we were going through privacy and GDPR and perhaps and that sort of thing, that was, that was something that we looked at a lot back then. So I, I guess that carries over into what you're doing with the, with the, with the bots as well. Yeah. I don't, I mean, there's probably not a big um, security risk around most of this, except for the IP part. But there is also, I guess, the potential for some bias in the model. So I, I'm curious, have you guys looked at that at all? Is there any, is there anything you've done and is there any risk around uh, bias from that perspective? Um, well, of course, there's risk for bias. <laughs> um, and your prop strategy, I think, can help, you know, mitigate that a little bit. 
Um, but it, it will also be biased based on the data that's there. So like anytime you do a survey or anything, there is a potential for bias based mm. on the survey. Yeah. Like uh, the reviews, um, if, right, we don't have an equal number of reviews for, uh, that are representative of different uh, viewpoints, different size companies, right, whatever it might mm. be, um, and we're using that data uh, to provide the responses, the responses are going to be biased as well. Mm. That makes sense. And, and there's, there's also, I guess, the risk of, you're talking about reviews. I mean, there is certainly some, <clears throat> there are some, some reviews that are more uh, reactionary or maybe more negatively focused too, that could be in the mix that people would have to understand, I guess, too. For, for sure. And, you know, I, the, you know, G2 has a side of it that rates softwares based on the, the reviews that are out there. Uh, we have not uh, tried to do any uh, generative AI that modifies the algorithm for rating or anything like that at this point. Um, it just uses that algorithm to present options. So we will say it is this product is rated XYZ um, on, on G2. Mm. So, so you are pulling in the data from the other algorithms and then it can advise based on what it gets directly off of those of those rating algorithms. Yeah, that, 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 that makes, that makes sense too. So obviously this is, I mean, this is a really interesting application of the, of the chat bot, I think, because you're not, you know, it's not directly like I have a problem kind of a thing. It's more of a, I'm looking for solutions and, and that sort of thing. So what, how does this, I mean, what, what do you think the, the, the future possibilities um, that we can see from these chatbots and 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 particularly these intelligent chatbots that use generative AI. I mean, what where, where are we going to see them? What else do you think uh, is going to happen around that? It's changing so quickly; it's hard to keep up. You know, you know these opinion questions. I I love talking about them, but I think everybody has speculation around these. I love these are great conversations over a drink um, of where where it could go because there's so many options. And so what, how it will change society uh, and uh, how it even change the way we learn um, over time and what we learn over time, I think are wonderful questions. If I were to think about, you know, specifically B2B interactions though, which is what G2 mm -hmm. is, you know, I think it's really changing the way probably people find and search uh, over time. And if we compare Will it be the new Google? Um, will people enable enough information out there that bots basically are the, the complete way that you search and ultimately maybe find and buy products directly within the bot and never even go? So is it the new internet? I don't know. It, it's I can see a world where you could do everything and interact through a through a bot because when you're you're searching the information, you're looking for information typically, um, and then you want to potentially transact. And so a bot, you're looking for information, would you ultimately be able to you know, transact as well? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Those are, those are some things That's that interesting. I, I think about. Because yeah, I mean, you are starting to see it sort of, things are starting to merge. Like like just a simple one, I I, I uh, noticed that uh, G2 had put a plugin on ChatGPT Plus now, so you can, you can actually interact just like you would if you'd gone to the G2 site, I assume, uh, on ChatGPT. Is that, do you think that's a part of what you just said, this kind of merging of all these different things that are happening? 
I, I think so. And right now, even like the bots that we build, they're designed for a specific purpose. They're trained on a specific purpose. But when, you know, eventually we're going to have bots that actually like, you know, you just need one bot for everything. Mm. Um, and it's smart enough to know the, the context of the question. And then where do you kind of go and find that information mm. uh, versus a plugin, right? You have to actually like say, I'm going to use this plugin. Um, <laughs> Versus knowing based on the question that it should go use that plugin. Yeah, yeah. I mean that uh, that makes sense. I mean it's it's almost like a, in a way you end up with this assistant bot that just helps you do all sorts of different things, I guess. So, I mean you've you've jumped in the G two has jumped in pretty heavily into this, and I know um, you know I know um, that there's a lot of uh, support for automation and that sort of thing in the. In the among the founders and among the executives at G two anyway, but but I mean, what what would you advise? You know, I talk to a lot of companies, and and there's a there's kind of a mix feeling I think about it. Like, is it time to jump in? Should we wait? Should we? I mean, what do you think? And it, it's just definitely another opinion question. But I'm just curious. I mean, is this should companies be the be at least experimenting with this? Or are they going to get left behind if they don't do something? Yeah, I obviously have bias in this question, um, but like if you're not learning about this or if you don't have some way of learning about it and understand how it might impact your business and how you can use it, um, you, you might be at risk is my opinion. Uh, now, is it the right time for you today? I don't know. Um, so like, as I mentioned, there's certain industries that probably it applies more to than others, but um almost every industry I think probably has a way to make themselves more efficient, even if they're not developing an AI product. Mm. Um, there's probably a way, at least internally, you can improve your operational efficiencies using yeah. it. So, so, I mean, it sounds like you'd say that you're probably better off at least piloting and experimenting than you are holding back at this point, because things are going to continue to evolve and maybe you get left behind if you don't learn what you could do with it. I mean, yeah, at a minimum, even if you're not developing it, putting development effort into it, but like looking at the the tools that are out there um, and they are being developed fast um, and there's more coming on every single day. And so like just keeping up to speed on what tools might benefit, benefit your business or certain areas of your business mm. and then testing them. Uh, a lot of these newer tools, they have free trials. And so just try them out. Yeah, that makes sense. One of my other guests uh, used the old Nike phrase, "Just do it." So maybe right. that's the yeah. maybe that's the right answer, right? Well, I, we're we're just at the end of time. Um, great conversation. Always fun to to chat with you, Tim. I I really appreciate you joining. Before I let you go, though, um, could you recommend someone, you know, a thought leader, an author, some mentor that's influenced your career, uh, help you know, help you develop and evolve? Well, what's coming to mind when you say this right now, um, and it's, I wouldn't call it a mentor or anything like that, but maybe somebody that I've been inspired by as I've been thinking about AI is this, uh, it's, a, it's a woman named Dorothea Vaughn. Um, Dorothea Vaughn was, um, she was a programmer, head of human computing for NASA. And when I say human community, that means she was like, had, ran a group of people that were running mathematical thing on paper, <laughs> Um, and she sees next door, right, that they're installing the first IBM mainframe to basically take 
her and all of her team's job away. And so, you know, immediately many people, they react with fear and they want to sabotage. They don't want to like embrace the change, but her reaction was different. Her reaction was she goes to the library. She checks out all the books on Fortran. She makes a copy of the manual and trains her entire team on it. Um, And so when I'm thinking about AI, um, like I get inspiration from what she did, which was not react with fear, but react with like all we can do is learn and just go after the learning. And so I, I, I think about Dorothea Vaughn, um, mm. you know, just recently. recently. Yeah, I, I love that story. And I, I think that's uh, probably one of the, the things that uh, can really help people understand, especially when you talk about the threat to jobs. And you know, we, we know there are going to be some jobs that go away or change or automated away, whatever, but, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be embracing this and learning because the more you learn, the more opportunity you're going to have. And yeah, that's great. Thank you for, I, I, that's, that's very, that's a very good story. And I, I, I love that story. Uh, used that a few times myself, actually. Um, so that's, that's all the time we have, but th- thanks everyone for joining us this week. Um, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and, for more on AI, you can check out the Arian Research uh, report that we published in August on AI adoption. It's a free download on the site, and you can't beat free downloads, so go check that out. Uh, and join us next week. Uh, I'm going to uh, do a special edition of Dreamforce, and I have three of the executives in um, Salesforce AI cloud uh, world that are going to sit down with us for a few minutes and chat about some of the things that they're doing. So I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, episode. Uh, looking forward to uh, to the conversation next week. I know we're going to going to learn a lot about what they're doing since uh, certainly Salesforce has gone all in on uh, on the AI storyline. Uh, and that's uh, that's it. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast. <laughs>